and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons & Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our campaigns. Uh, this is episode 17, and with me, as always, uh, I'm Fiona. Oh, it's too early in the morning, I can't even remember my own name, Ryan. <laughs> I'll start again. My name is Fiona, and with me, as always, is Ryan, my co-host who gets me up really early to do these recordings. How are you, Ryan? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Apart from being tired and out of it. Oh, it's fine, you know. What else would I do on a Sunday, you know? <laughs> Basically, the, the behind the scenes is I'm really, really, really unreliable and keep moving the appointment around. So, you know, have sympathy for Fiona. She's being woken up at all times of the morning to film this. It's a labour of love. You should appreciate everything this podcast gives you. Exactly so. I mean, we've got a few people that are following. Like I said, we've got over, over. I think it was like over 400 downloads in the last month. So actually, we're doing, really? we're doing all right. Yeah, I was, that's I, amazing I, I know people people apparently really enjoy listening to us and chatting to us well i was chatting to each other and not chatting to wow. us yet <laughs> either that or it's 400 phone calls we need to make to sort of <laughs> check in on people and say are you sure you're okay this is a strange thing to want to listen to no that's really cool it's weird when people start to listen because you start second guessing yourself you start going oh no Maybe I do need to know what I'm talking about. Have I actually got to, to really, really read into this? I know. Sometimes, you, I don't know if you've ever seen like a YouTube streamers or something like that, and they say like, oh, this, but I don't know anything about it yet. Oh, you've had plenty of time to read up on X, Y, or Z. Oh, ugh. and then it comes to this and I go, oh God, I did read it like two weeks ago. And I know. Ah. <laughs> I'm supposed to know what I'm talking about. And I'm looking at this and going, hang on. Was this the chapter I said I would read? I'm pretty sure it's not. I, I, <laughs> something totally different. What a good segue, Ryan. So tell us, what is the chapter we're looking at today? All right. So Dungeons & Dragons as a game has been associated with three things, I think, for donkey's years. Dragons, which of course are very, very cool and important monsters and are brilliant and I would recommend you put in any campaign. Mm -hmm. Dungeons, which you can use pre-built ones or you can make your own and, you know, you've got to give something that people need to skulk around in and, and work through in a campaign. But magical items and treasure is kind of that unspoken third thing that makes up any campaign and is really, really important to get right, because if you do, what you end up doing is putting a system in place where your players coming back week after week can be rewarded with effectively good play and progressing for your campaign with the best thing that everybody loves, money and cool stuff, which is essentially what this is. Amazing. I, and no wonder they didn't call it Dungeons and Dragons and Treasure. I feel it was maybe a bit too long to put on the, the actual book, so they've had to like just well, shorten it to D&D. &D. I, I think it's a mistake they made, personally. Oh, really? <laughs> but at least, yeah, like you said, it is implied. that. And I will say, yeah, most people are like, all right, but what do we get when we defeat the boss? What What is it that, if I go on this mission, what do I get out of it? Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's an interesting, I guess it's an interesting concept, because in real life, sometimes you're like, oh, no, I'll do that for free. That's fine. Uh, I, I'll help you out but when you're an adventurer that is your life and it's your career so you want you want payment for in case there's uh, any danger of certain death i guess well exactly it's, it's all about the magnitude of the favors you're being asked if i go hey fee do you mind going out and grabbing some milk for me that's very different to do you mind disposing with the cursed remains of the hobgoblin that was ransacking the town three days ago right. that's there's different levels of it isn't there so yeah no you're right you as a player you have to think if you're putting yourself into mortal danger week after week What's the reward? Why would your character be doing it? And whether you have a selfish character or a character with really good intentions but needs the money to 
do whatever charitable or sort of holy act that they want to do. It all kind of plays in. And as players, there is something really satisfying when you've got a character sheet that not only has your level eight paladin or whatever it is, is growing and growing and, and gaining all these skills. But if you start getting magic weapons and magic items, there's something fun about that that makes you go, yeah, I want to come back and use this now. Also, for the record, Ryan, I would charge you to go get milk uh, <laughs> in, this, in this day and age. And depending on what I kind keep, of milk. <laughs> I keep making you buy it and then I don't give you money for it. So it's, it's even worse. That's the problem. <laughs> All right. And well, give us a brief summary of this chapter. What is it about treasure or treasure tables? What is it about? I've got to be honest. I didn't know anything about it till I read the chapter. So <laughs> <laughs> this very much is a sort of behind the scenes Dungeon Master's planning episode this is something where if you've got uh typically a campaign or a one shot that you are running yourself that maybe you've made yourself or that you are massively changing behind the scenes putting magical items and treasure into any scenario is quite a difficult thing because if you are just thrown the dungeon master's guide in front of you there are hundreds of magical items and there are all kinds of different types and consumables non-consumables different rarities different uses and attunements and classes that you can have to sort of think about so deciding what you put in a campaign or one shot is really tricky and then deciding how much gold to put in is really tricky yeah. as well because all of these things have a risk of unbalancing whatever campaign or scenario you're in although the book does take great pains to kind of tell you that actually sometimes being unbalanced isn't the worst thing in the world and that is a totally other thing completely but the idea behind these chapters is to give you the set of tools you need to put a nice average distributed amount of treasure through whatever scenarios you're doing to give a your party a really good sense of progression and building up and accumulating power but b to not unbalance it so much that your level three rogue is running through the dungeon with the holy avenger like legendary greatsword of slaying demon dragons mm. and thinking oh, i probably got that role a bit wrong and <laughs> it's actually really really good what he does is the, the sort of chapter seven treasure effectively splits everything that a character could get down into component parts such as money and treasure and then magical items and then splits them into what i call treasure hordes and treasure tables mm. and then gives you really good information about what sort of frequency you should be seeing and then how to distribute it for a campaign when I read this through, I saw the on average, what how often a party tra finds treasure. And I was actually quite shocked because it, it seems quite low according to this book. So on average, the party finds treasures uh, like seven times at a lower level, 18 times at a, in a mid-tier level, and then on and on is about another 20 times. So in total, mm. they should only be finding treasure about under 50 times. But then it makes sense because I guess for me, obviously, you don't find treasure at the end of every session or at the end of every sort of dungeon because you might have to go back and and get stuff. But I actually, it just seemed quite low. But then maybe that's just me. I, I guess I just reward players too too quickly, or because I play one shots, I'm always giving out treasure. I guess. Well, I think that's treasure hordes, if you may, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's fifty hordes where each horde may have multiple magic items or, or none at all, but on average they will have lots and lots of different. Bits and pieces but it was sort of stems from how fifth edition has been built and it's it's very different to other D, D versions that i've played 
the idea behind magic items is that they you can't just walk into a shop or city and buy and sell items like they were in a high expensive you know harrods or or, or whatever it is like they are rare items that it hints that whatever law or ability or mechanism has been used to make these items has been lost mm. or eroded over time. So these things are kind of one of a kind artifacts and sort of special things, and you'll find them, but you can't go out and just sort of buy them. The, the fifth edition tries to give a sense of rarity and randomness to what you might pick up. Now, I know that when we play Dungeons and Dragons, often as a DM, I sort of home rule it a little bit and introduce more shops and, and trading and, and that sort of thing. But as it's written, you're not supposed to be able to just walk into a city and go, aha, I will take that plus two longsword. Mm. All these things are supposed to be quite rare and, and random. And, and that's where the treasure hordes come in. And mm. I think that's actually, you're right. It's a really good place to start to get it in your head as to how often you should be seeing these things. I mean, there are four different types of treasure hoard, and it all is based on the challenge rating of whatever you are dealing with. So it goes from really small challenges of zero to four. You've got five to 10, you've got 11 to 16, and then 17 plus. If you're up at 17 plus, you're fighting world threatening threats if you're doing zero to four you're probably dealing with a goblin in your basement so there's different levels of of risk there and as you're right you're supposed to sort of have a certain average amount of it and i look at it because we've done campaigns for a long time right and i've, mm. I've we've had this long running campaign we've been playing for over two years now it's it's pushing like a long time and yes. working out how many magic items to give you guys is really tough because if i give you too many then that kind of skews the campaign for a very long period of time so if, if the, the one i sort of was looking at and we talked before about how most campaigns and one shots are within that five to ten level bracket that seems mm. to be the, the sweet spot of dnd level five to, to level ten mm -hmm. but if we have a look at that 18 rolls on the challenge five to ten tables so the way i think about that is between levels five to ten you've got six levels right you've got five six seven eight nine ten mm -hmm. and you've got 18 rolls on the challenge table so that works out roughly every level that you give your character you should be having three rolls mm. on the challenge table and that's kind of how i work it out that actually does make a lot more sense i guess it just like yeah i guess it was just more like when you're an adventurer you i guess it's that sort of thing where even in a fantasy world everything is run by capitalism uh, or you are funded by <laughs> in some way <laughs> One thing I did find really helpful, because again, it's that sort of thing, it's like, uh, like you said, it's like either treasure or hordes where, you know, you get the loot essentially once you defeated the big bad and you're like, hooray, what have they got in their wardrobes and what have they got in their cupboards? Mm. Um, but what I quite liked, it did define sort of like four different types of horde in a random paragraph, I think. Like you get the contents belonging to one creature, a group of creatures, a horde that no one uses. It's just left there in a dungeon that's forgotten about. And then a gift from a benefactor. And those are sort mm. of the main four places where you would get a sizable amount of reward. Yeah. I actually thought that was really useful. Because again, that's the sort of thing is like, well, where do you start? And then it actually just narrows it down to four main options and then you can proceed from there i thought that was quite yeah, good exactly and and it's up to you as a dm to use your imagination as to how you want to throw these things because if you look at the tables it is basically a chapter just with tables upon tables and rolling lots of yeah. dice like if we if we have a look at the challenge rating zero to four treasure hoard mm -hmm. you may roll a 50 on a d100 which you can look at across and you're like okay that's 2d4 25 gold pieces 
art objects, fine. Well, I mean, you look at the art object tables and you're sort of looking at that and going, oh, well, that's maybe a small gold bracelet and a pair of engraved bone dice. And you're like, okay, that's fine, that's fine. And then you go along the table a bit more and you're like, okay, that's 1d6 times on magic table A and you have to roll those. And you think, well, what am I going to do just at the end of the campaign? Is it just sat in a room where you're like, oh, yay, Mm. you have done the challenge. You've gone into the treasure room and your characters move through and and just get given it or as you say can you be more constructive with it if there's loads of potions on the treasure table for instance are your players stumbling across a warehouse that used to contain this stuff an alchemist who was experimenting and had some spare supplies a villain who keeps all of these potions on them in order to use them maybe your characters were given them as part payment up front to go and do whatever dungeon is being given of them there's all kinds of ways you can do it and and really it's up to your imagination to sort of put a way in the one thing i would say with the treasure hoards um this is it's not written particularly clearly i don't think but the idea behind treasure hoards is that it's given more than your characters will end up needing because Mm. your characters may not find it all and that's a difficult one because i hate rolling treasure and (laughs) then seeing you guys walk past it. it yeah yeah exactly and then never picking it up because sometimes if you haven't described something well or maybe the dungeon layout you put together as a dm isn't necessarily in, in, intuitive you may just watch your characters walk past what you thought was a really obvious segue and go oh well that was the legendary sword that was well suited to one of my characters i put in there hmm. and then you sort of think about it so maybe you need to sort of tweak it but the idea is that you aren't supposed to pick up absolutely everything um so you know use a sort of a, a sense of whether or not you think people are going to to do stuff and and reward and you know intuitive behavior and, and, and successful behavior if, if you've got loads and loads and loads of treasure maybe set half of that treasure aside to a side goal that you're making clear is oh look you're going through a dungeon and what you've got to do is kill all the goblins and when you kill the goblins here's half the treasure but as you're going through you see an ominous, scary-looking staircase going down into something much deeper and darker, <laughs> and you think you hear the sound of a gold golem walking around, yes. or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give them the option to sort of to, to really push and get that other half of the loot. Now I'm questioning every decision I've ever made in our campaign, Ryan, as a result. Oh, that's good. I think, but this is the thing, because I'm sure you, you're like me. Sometimes you watch streams of Let's Plays and stuff like that. And you see, like, uh, like for example, I've been watching a lot of Resident Evil 4 uh, Let's Play, because I'm going to play it myself at some point, so I need to be prepared. <laughs> but it's so interesting, because obviously people have played this game so many times, and then they'll comment saying, oh, no, you've missed the magnum that's in this, because you need to go back and get it. And obviously then that changes... Uh, the gameplay you're influencing the Mm -hmm. gameplay that's actually quite fascinating to know that in your head you're like oh god they've missed it can't do anything about it i i guess like i I would see that as more as an easter egg sort of thing i can i can imagine it being frustrating like oh if only you just went a little bit further but actually Mm -hmm. i don't know i think i revel in that graham i think you've done it to us once where you've gone oh that's a shame and then you just moved a piece of paper away like wait what what's wrong i do yeah yeah exactly and it's all about you have to lure enough things in front of the players to really immerse them in the world you're building anyway, but specifically to kind of taunt them with whatever treasure you're putting in. And if they don't know it's there because you haven't really described it very well, that's kind of not very fair on everybody. But if you've set like a puzzle in front of somebody and said, well, here's all the treasure, but now the room is flooding and they don't pick up everything, but that was because of the, how the dice fell or because of how their decisions were during whatever the sort of mini encounter you've got, that's different. You can taunt them with that. And I 
I've always been a fan that in D&D, sometimes the failures and the things that go wrong are the things that really spur people on and really push them to coming back next time because you think, oh, you know, I saw that huge diamond and it was about 10 feet in front of me when the gate shut and the whole room disappeared and you went, oh, no, that's... I could have done that exactly and, yeah. and that's what draws people back rather than just success 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 all the time of guaranteed really? winning just to go back to a point you sort of briefly glossed over but it said there's four types of treasure as well so obviously there's your coins you've got mm -hmm. your gemstones and magic items but the one I, I always forget about and I think it's the most interesting category is the art objects so essentially, yes. essentially they just appear and it's like here is a portrait of an unknown noble and you're like Ooh. And I think, again, we've done it in our campaigns and in one shots where you describe something which you know is a throwaway object of 25 gold pieces or whatever. But I've had players go, but what does it mean? It must be the answer to some puzzle. Well, I'll hold on to it for ages. And you're like, no, just get rid of it. It's just taking, <laughs> it's just taking up slots in your inventory. But the tables for both the art objects and the gemstones are really interesting because I, my knowledge of gemstones, as you can tell, Ryan, is pretty much up there i know you've got your opals you got your, your, your but like but actually having them out in rarities and in like oh well a ruby will be fifty five thousand pieces mm -hmm. uh but a, a portrait or a necklace like this and you're like again it's that something it's a, it's a nice flavor to stuff but yeah, if you yeah. if you over flavor it or you just go oh and it's got you know beautiful thing and you're like oh well, there must be some proper meaning behind things. And I think that's what people sometimes do fall into the trap because then you, you're spending ages like looking at stuff. And eventually, I've, I've definitely done that as a DM going, well, ro roll a check. And regardless of what it goes, no, you think it's definitely just a necklace and you should move on from the current <laughs> current yeah. conversation of 10 minutes. Well, I mean, that, that's always an interesting one because art objects, if they are given as a reward, an art objects is basically just anything with value that has been made mm -hmm. for a silly purpose or anything from, yeah, as you say, jewelry to portraits to statues to whatever. It meant like a like a music box that plays something yes, yeah. lost. But what if expanding on your point, you make the art object actually intrinsically important to what they're doing? So mm. if they were going through and unlocking a door to the boss room and you need the typical video game three keys to, to sort of do it, and one of the keys is made of solid platinum and one is gold with rubies in the pommel of the key, and one is you know, silver with emeralds and sapphires and everything like that. And then they open the door and mm. you say, great, the keys are still in the door. And they go, oh, well, can oh. we keep the keys? And you're like, yeah, of course, they're all worth 750 gold each. And mm. they go, oh, oh, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> I'll just take that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you don't necessarily have to make it like a one or the other thing. The art objects can be actually intrinsically important to whatever they were doing. But then you're like, well, you still have this golden crown. Do you want to keep it? It's mm. made of solid gold. And you're like, okay, yes, I, I absolutely will. That's an interesting point you make, because so, again, um, oh, as you know, in Tomb of Horrors, it's laden with treasure, but a lot of it is either cursed or it gets stuck in something. There's one really early on where there's like um, a gargoyle of some sort, and you it has like a little indentation in its one of its hands, and you've just happened to pick up this necklace filled with uh, gemstones, and you have to put each gemstone in it, and it crushes it, and then when you do, it opens something else. And but it, it is described in great detail. Because, oh yeah, the gemstones are worth quite a lot of money, but in order to proceed, it's basically like um, was it one of those uh, lock uh, oh, what they called like microtransactions uh, <laughs> to get <laughs> onto the next part. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The team of horrors was horrible though because it's designed to really annoy people who know what they're doing. That's yes. the thing. It's, it's and I love it for that. But yeah, just watching your your treasure disintegrate in front of you is just. Ugh. 
absolutely yeah. ridiculous. It, it is that sort of thing where it's like you pay in order to get, proceed, but there might be more at the end, and which is true. But you've also got to fight spoilers, a huge undead lich, uh, yeah. or, or get out of there as quick as you can and take exactly. what you need. <laughs> One of the things I will say about treasure hoards, though, is especially when you get into the higher levels. So if we ever look mm. at the, the 11 to 16 treasure hoard table, for instance, yes. so this is kind of like second half of the game. Your characters are all level 10 or 11, and you're you're fighting that sort of thing you roll on one of the treasure hordes and and don't forget we're saying you should have two or three hordes per level in the group but this treasure hoard is saying at the top you should have fourteen thousand gold pieces mm. and specifically it talks about gold earlier as to having a weight that you don't necessarily think about but if you've got fourteen thousand gold pieces and it says 50 coins weigh one pound so so effectively the treasure what would that be 280 pounds i'm terrible at american weights and and things but oh. that is like a, a hundred kilograms at least of gold you're sort of looking at it thinking well my party unless they've got some sort of transportation that's impossibly heavy mm-hmm. it's going to take ages i mean could you imagine going into a store with that much money i think gemstones and, and magic items are a really good way to sort of consolidate that wealth down and say okay instead of having fourteen thousand golds worth of treasure you've actually got three five thousand gold diamonds effectively Mm. and and you know your characters can actually hold them and put them in a pocket and that's a bit more easy to transport it actually reminds me of the you know when back when we could go on holiday and stuff like certainly when i was a kid obviously you just have all your money in like physical cash and coins obviously now you're like well you could just have a contactless card and it's like oh my god i don't have to carry around with me like various secret packages or, or secret things like tucked into mm-hmm. your pants or anything like that it's yeah it's as you can tell it revolutionized my life if, if i was 14 again i'd be like well i'm just gonna use my travel card but you're right you know having a gold bar it weighs a little bit but it's gonna be the same as all these other coins so i i totally i totally see that going on back to your point about buying and selling magical items i'm sure we'll go into the nitty-gritty of actual magical items in a second but Mm. i thought this was really interesting something you did in our campaign when we got to our sort of first big like here is the city and we're going to spend uh, a chapter here and stuff like that you did a really cool thing with uh, us as the players where there is a magic shop called the midnight marvel and we could roll on the magic table at least three times uh, for each player and there would be an item there that we have helped influence and be there and that mm. was really fun I, I hadn't really experienced that before because obviously there are certain things that you would have rolled for but actually like no get them involved as well I thought that was really really cool yeah, um, yeah. yeah. and that effectively that, that is a bit of a, a sort of home rule but what I had is yeah the, the shop that effectively had treasure hoards so I would roll a treasure hoard in it that is identical to the treasure hoards that you guys were finding on your campaign but it was like extra so if you if you had three that level the midnight marvel might have two or three more treasure hoards but the difference is is you would then have to buy or trade those magic items rather than just being given them but it sort of is a way of introducing a little bit of randomness into the game and 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 basically just sort of dropping things under your nose which works perfectly when you have wings of flying that are ridiculously expensive and some members of the party just can't help themselves it's um it's just one of those things really but but that's all i was doing i was just going through magic item tables and and rolling random things and saying this is this is what i've got um Mm. in the store yeah and it's all based on on the specific magic tables that's the thing there's treasure hoard tables Mm -hmm. which is what decides what you've got and then the magic item tables specifically then digs down into what that hoard has and then it's up to your imagination to try and work out how to put those into the game 
Yeah, because again, it, it says, you sort of said, it doesn't necessarily mean you have all these shops that do sell magic items because magic items are rare. They're not really made anymore. They're just put around. And there was a really cool little line saying, well, plenty of people would like a magic sword, but few of them can afford it. And I was like, mm. that is fair. Because we yeah. again, it's that thing you just assume like, well, I, I want to find this particular book or I want to find uh, this particular sword. You're like, oh, well, that's nice good luck like you know <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and and that's the thing that magic items are supposed to be a representation of ridiculous wealth and finding somebody who will be able to buy that or, or be able to trade it with you is a plot point in itself you know mm. they're going to be incredibly wealthy or incredibly rich or incredibly evil in order to have amassed mm. that much wealth and you've got to actually go into the dark arts of selling a Banksy that may or may not explode, you know, to a buyer that may or may not shoot you. It's it's kind of half the fun of it, really. That would be cool. Again, because it talks about invite-only auction houses and stuff like that. Like, you could have the magic shop, but what else could you do to flavor it? I love that idea of recreating that Banksy moment that you just said, like, you buy the painting and you're like, hooray, and then it just starts to disintegrate. And you're yep. like, oh, no, but it's worth more. I don't understand. But hey. <laughs> Exactly. Plot point. Work out who did it and whether you were set up. Oh, yeah, that, that sounds really cool. Who is Banksy? Introducing Banksy as a minor character in your campaign, just, just every so often scrawling things on the walls like, I am the knight, and then disappearing. <laughs> Let's talk about magic items then, because obviously we sort of mentioned about it. What sort of things stand out for you for the magic items in general, I guess? Magic items are basically a catch-all for anything that isn't gold or sort of a, a, an art object effectively it encompasses everything from uh what i would like to call consumables such as potions and scrolls and things that you use up when you use them to longer term magic items and you have everything in in sort of five different categories from common uncommon rare very rare and legendary so proper using the same loot system that every game we know and love sort of picks up effectively but Legendary magic items are supposed to be the super rare artifacts of legend that will only appear in a campaign maybe a couple of times that are ridiculously powerful uh, and difficult to get and very expensive, all the way down to common magic items, which you may find in an average town being produced and represents like a potion of healing, for instance, is a, mm. is a typical example of, of that one. So there's all kinds of different things you can get. A lot of it is clothing, armor, um, from boots to belts to helmets to sets of shields and whatever it might be you also get weapons so everything from swords to wands to staffs and everything like that and then there are some really strange ones i think was it the apparatus of i can never remember its name but there are some really strange stuff in there that you know you'll roll on the table and you'll go huh what on earth is that and you read the description and you go huh that that does not help at all that is really <laughs> Yeah, I think it's that sort of, again, clang improv. It's that sort of thing where you would roll stuff and go, hmm, how do I justify this being here at this time? Does it need yeah. to have a backstory? Does it not? And yeah, some of the things in here are like, ooh, I, where where would this appear if it's not in a, you know, a magic shop or an auction? It has to, I feel like, some, and that's the thing, sometimes it is more engaging to have a secret like sort of backstory in your head that the players maybe never find out about. But the, the one thing I did find was interesting, there's a whole section about like... <laughs> about like um basically common sense like uh, can you wear multiple things of the same thing well you can't wear two armors uh you got to wear armor mm. properly 
paired items will only work if they're both worn, which I thought was great because clearly there's been some players all going, oh, well, I wear one boot on one foot and then I wear a different boot on the other and I'm going to gain yep. the benefits of both. <laughs> Everyone knows a player like that. And if you don't know anybody like that, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that was quite good. And it does give that flexibility. And there's something we've actually seen in our own campaign. It's like even when you have magical armor, you're like, oh, but it's made for for a gnome. And I am I am a half-orc. And it goes, oh, but it, it conveniently, after a certain amount of time, will grow and fit. Uh, but that's up to the DM's discretion as well, which I yeah, thought was Yeah, and, and that's the thing. A lot of the sort of this, this chapter gives sets of rules for this is how it should work. And then these are the optional rules to, to sort of spice around if you want magic items to be rarer or less rare or easy to use or harder to use or Mm. whatever it is but the idea as you say is that every magical item should be available to be used by any player as long as the item doesn't specifically tell you otherwise there are items in there that say you have to be a warlock or you have to be a dwarf or, or whatever it might be but anybody can use anything once you've attuned to it and that attuning takes a short rest effectively. Um, That's one of the important things to remember as well is that some magic items don't have attunement and anyone can just pick them up and use them as they are. But most magic items require attunement, which is a process where you spend a short rest, essentially just prodding it until you kind of figure out how it works. But you can only be attuned to three things at once. And once you hit that three, you have to drop something in order to attuned to the next thing and that is sort of is a balancing system to stop people from running away with too many magical items apart from the artificer which we've spoken about before that get more than three magical mm-hmm. items which is you know dm dependent hilariously fun yeah and you know what that was something i'd never realized that attunement was a short rest i think for all the stuff we've ever attuned to it's always been on a long rest so that blew my mind slightly that we could have just like let's just stop for one moment <laughs> sit down yeah. for 20 minutes and i you never realized that that stemmed from me getting the rules wrong for about a year and a half really? I think it was somebody oh. in, a, in a session was like no no i'm pretty sure it's a short rest and i was like no no no, I'm, I'm almost certain it's, it's a long rest and thinking about it when I read into it and went, bugger, that's, <laughs> I've been wrong on that for a long time. But then I just said, I'm a DM. So, you know, what I say goes and it was all great. So I, think, I think that makes sense in a way. Like, I feel like magic items, maybe they take a little bit more to work out in general. So you don't want to necessarily like want to use it for the next encounter or anything like that. I, I actually prefer it being on a long rest as a player and yeah. as a DM. I just it just gives us a little more time to go. Okay, let me just ch- tweak anything I've got behind the scenes so that you know yeah. we can test it out. So yeah, I, I actually exactly. prefer it being a long rest. So. Yeah, one thing I would I would think about when when putting magic items in as well is that when you go through the table, um, there are certain magic items that tend to pop up in every campaign. Like a bag of holding is a really good example of something that people just like to pick up because it doesn't require achievement and it basically avoids you having to worry about weight and carrying capacity because it's like a portable dimension in a purse or rucksack or whatever it might be um Mm. but you want to give magic items a bit of distinct flavor and you want to be able to give them a little bit of personality when you drop them into your campaign so if you roll on the table and you get a plus one longsword you can describe it as a plus one longsword and your party look at the plus one dagger and plus one mace and plus one spear they've picked up up to this point and go oh well okay it's just another thing and pop it in the bag Bag, yeah (laughs) exactly give it a name give it like call it the sort of you know zane's wrath or whatever it might be um and, and give it a little bit of a background as to like well maybe the way it's been designed 
behind hints at a bit of a story and a bit of character and maybe put it in the hands of a villain who uses it on the party before then dropping it and then the party can pick it up and say oh well, I remember it from from this like to this day we we have a there was a plus one greatsword I think rolled on the on the treasure tables and I was thinking oh well how do I just put this into the game this is this is just like a really random one we were we weren't at a point in the story where you guys were really going through dungeons or you weren't really picking up loot drops it was very story based and travel based and and yeah. it was a bit difficult so we ended up giving the the greatsword to who was the villain at the time, a, a bloke called Vulcan. Oh God, and yeah. because of that, it was it, we made it as a really ostentatious commander's greatsword with black and red and just huge and gaudy and a real statement piece. Yeah. And to this day, the party refer to it as Vulcan's sword, you yeah. know? And and they will hide it in 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 plain, you know, in plain sight because it's really showy and gives away the identity of, of who owned it before because this thing is ostentatious and ridiculous it's still a plus one greatsword so it's still very useful but it just gives it a little bit more character yeah definitely well there's tables at the back of the book as well that sort of again gives it that sort of special features so the tables are sort of who created it and what was intended for uh, a detail from its history what minor property does it have and what quirk does it have and again this sort of goes into the sort of like like you said like giving the flavor giving backstory and stuff i love the minor property table because some of it is like Oh, it is conscientious. Oh, it's gleaming. But then right at the end, on, on if you roll a 12 on a D20, it's songcraft. Whenever this item is struck or used to strike a foe, here's a fragment of the song. And again, I just thought, like, what songs could you sing? You could just be like, I don't know, Take On Me or any sort of like random sort of pop song. You just like sing out phrases of it as it, as it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I absolutely love that. But yeah, and the quirk it has as well, which I think will probably lead on to sort of cursed items in general. It talks about like, you know, it's confident or it is um, frail and then you got like uh, was it muttering so you can hear it say something perhaps when you <laughs> so I like the idea you go what should we do next sword and it goes I don't fucking know. Um, try try this lever. Oh, it's worked. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. There's nothing will wind a player up and make them more suspicious of what's going on than putting a minor trait on a sword exactly. because it can be totally innocuous. But if your sword goes. Oh, not again. Whenever your character fails a check, then you start going, oh no, why is it doing that? What, what's it thinking? Like, and is there a reason to this? And, and start second guessing themselves. And all it is is just some minor table mm. thing that you've done. I think there's some, there's a, there's a weapon you could get in Borderlands. I think it was either the shield or, or a gun or something like that. And when you used it, it was like, no, please, ow, stop. And, and for ages, I was like, God, what is making that noise? And I was like, oh no, it's, just, it's my shield. It's just getting hit constantly. And then, please don't do that. Ow. I want to be peaceful. Exactly. But make it a plus three sword and just saying oh no it's going to be really really annoying i mean yeah we so you guys found what was a very rare magical item from a table because when you roll through the, the treasure hoard tables there are some rolls on them will give you really weak stuff some rolls will give you consumable stuff and occasionally you get a roll that gives you a magic item that is of significant power mm. um and you've got to think about those a little bit more as to how you put them into the campaign because these things are very rare and probably have been found and used by people because you know why wouldn't you and you guys found a rod of security which is a very rare rod like a sort of small staff that you can use to teleport the entire party to a demi like a totally separate demi plane this separate realm of existence where you can hide for I think it's about 100 days or something silly mm -hmm. like the, the party can just no 199 
creatures and 199 days you've got it just teleports you to a paradise where you don't have to see anybody you don't have to fight anyone you can rest you can heal it's an amazing magical item like you're in the middle of the big boss fight and you go and disappear and heal up and then pop back so i was thinking well okay that's an incredibly powerful item that would change the way the campaign works a little bit Mm. how can i spice it up a little bit so we ended up putting in a butler into this rod of security who everything he does is evil and really creepy even though he isn't at all there's nothing he's doing which is actually bad in any way but he just seems to be the most suspicious like just untrustworthy creature ever that the party double you know they're thinking is it cursed will this thing kill me do we use the rod and it just puts that doubt in their heads which i i find very funny Oh, but when we first went and then they were like, here is the food. And we're like, who's going to eat it? <laughs> like, we're all like very carefully going, do, you, do we go for it? And in the end, I was like, sorry, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> but it, there was a moment where I was like, Ugh. Exactly. Oh. Is, is it poisoned? And it's like, no, not this time. What? <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting about cursed items in general, because it talks about how... You know, obviously the item description does say it's cursed or not, but even most ways of identifying it won't necessarily reveal such a curse. It's only through like hints of lore and flavorful stuff, which I thought was interesting because I'm definitely, again, and I think that's more up to the players to work out like whether or not it's evil or not because that's more fun and like how mm. dedicated they are. Like, oh no, this is giving me such a, a great thing, but then it's slowly sapping away. Like, if you, the longer you use it, the bonuses increase, but then, you know, other you have to keep making checks, etc. Like, um, in Critical Role, Travis's character, Grog, had a a sword that was from a big bad at some point or an axe or something like that. And it would sap the blood and energy off other people. But then when it wasn't fed, it would sap from Grog. And he was like, I'm just going to stay awake because then I'm going to get so much power. And then happened to fail one of the checks and just killed over like with no soul or anything like that and you're like oh god we're in the middle of something you should have gone to sleep and yeah it was it that it was a very interesting exact uh, proper turned that episode really because they were on their way to something and it's like really big and then suddenly we had to change it all around use up quite a lot of uh, magic items to bring him back and going this it's a bad thing. You did a bad thing, Grog. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Curses, uh, they're sort of role-playing pieces, effectively. And and some players really thrive off of having something to work around with. Yeah, as you said, like a little bit of character background, a little flavor. Don't be afraid to put a cursed item in. It, obviously, you've got to reward players for being ingenious. So if they find a way around the curse or to dispel the curse or to deal with it, then you have to say, you know, fair play. That's, uh, you know, you, you managed to circumvent about that a lot quicker than i thought you did mm. well thought you would but here's the magical item because of it but mm. often you know we, we've had cursed items and campaigns before and you guys seem to love them by sort of playing up to the to the role-playing aspect of it so it can be a really fun way to give a little bit of um flavor into the game or, or to give the curses to be doing things that are very very minor that someone would like to play around with you know like your barbarian has a double-handed axe and saying that the axe every time you wield it you have this compulsion to flick your cape impressively before standing you know moving anywhere just like it became from like a soul of some sort of big show off or something <laughs> that yeah i love that idea i'm gonna i'm just gonna implement that throughout our new campaign just <laughs> <laughs>
So there's the different types of variants that come into it. And this is what I love about D&D is that you said, well, here's how we do it, but here's some other things you can consider. So there's three that's sort of in this chapter that I saw. There's one which is called uh, more difficult identification. So when you get in a magic item, obviously you could either use the identify spell, which just reveals everything uh, mm. of it, or you could take a short rest and like work it out, etc. So it means that people who have access to magic and don't can work it out. But they say like if you want to have it a bit more mystique or anything like that, just remove anything on a short rest, uh, and it requires either the identify spell or experimentation or both. Mm. And I thought that was actually quite interesting because again, it's like it's up to the players to go like, well, it's up to you. Like, do you want to spend a resource, which is quite you know, identify is a spell slot. Like, you you could use it. It's a ritual, so you can either have it ten minutes and work it out, or you can cast a spell. That could be a lot of time, I guess. And then experimentation is that you just try it out. It's like, well, what do you do? And again, that has that more flavorful um, way of doing it. Like, I swing it around and hope for the best. Um, I hit a tree. I, I, I strike someone and hope <laughs> something happens as a result. I quite I yeah. quite like that. It's just, again, that's that sort of thing where it's like, I guess it's it's almost like a, a skippable cutscene whereby you like you can like find out what, what things are, like taking your time about it, or you could go, I press B, oh, it's this, you know. And it's up to you to, to experiment with what you think works best and, and there's no right way of doing it. And you can have things that play on some roles and not on others. It, like mm-hmm. there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Maybe you leave the short rest identification in, but yeah, you find a particular sword which refuses to give up its properties until you sing it a song. And you have to work that out and, and you know identify that. And yeah, it can be absolutely anything you want it to be some of these variants are are very very good fun yeah it might be more of a problem than others if if, if you're saying okay you have to identify an item to use it and none of your party have identified as a spell yeah that becomes a more important thing because suddenly they have to make friends with the local wizard or the, the local item shop to actually go and appraise all the items when they bring them back and then going on to the other two variants, which, again, I don't know if we've ever looked at in our campaigns or not. So you have stuff like mixing potions and scroll mishaps. And mm. the idea that you can have, you can drink two potions at the same time and have different effects. I I don't think we've ever done that other than maybe a healing potion and an invisibility potion or something like that, rather than has a magical two magical effects happening at the same time. Mm. And what's cool about it is that 54% of the time, they both work as as intended you're like oh that's quite good and then you have stuff where as it deals force damage to you because you've drunken two very volatile things or yeah. it goes to the other end if you roll a hundred you're like one of these effects is permanent and yep. it's up to the dm to work out which one it is exactly your potion invisibility will become a nightmare for you yeah or just slightly hovering off the ground constantly as a potion of flying or something yeah yeah exactly yeah I, I, so i thought that was again that's quite a cool thing because again it's it's something where you think a, a player would be like well wait what about if we try these things because i know there's oh again it's so it's somewhere in this book but where you can test a potion like have to, a little sip and then know what it is without necessarily expending the potion which i think is it's a it's an, a way to work out what it is but having the ability to be like all right i'm just gonna i'm just gonna take two it's like well that's incredibly reckless you wouldn't you wouldn't do that with like i don't know a barocca and um and diet coke uh because you don't know what's gonna happen in your stomach 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think we've uh, some of the variants will will offer things that work for you, and and some will not. For, for me personally, I found the mixing potions one just so random and yeah. difficult to keep track of. I've never really bothered with it. But yeah, you're right. These, these things can be really, really good fun. And if you think about it, and you've got players who maybe make potions or specifically collect potions a bit more, you might want to throw something in just to spice things up a little bit. There's, yeah, as I said, there's no right and wrong way to do this. It's it's a they're really good rules. And then going on to the spell mishaps one as well, again, you roll an intelligence check and then you have all these other things that could happen to you if, uh, you know, just, but that's it's for any creature that, that tries and fails to cast a, a spell. So mm. I thought that was quite cool. Because again, like not everyone in a campaign is a magic user. So they're just going to try and use something. It's a little bit more experimental. So I've got, it's, a, it's nice to have these options for flavor. It's like, you could do this and if it works, it'll look really cool and you've, you've succeeded at a great risk and possibly at a great cost. Like, like some of the stuff was it uh yeah the first one is that a surge of magical energy deals to the cast of 1d6 force damage per level of the spell mm-hmm. so so that's that's okay if it's like a level one spell but if you're thinking ah get the level six out quickly try something and then it doesn't work you're like oh that could be quite serious so yeah that's oh. that's not gonna work well for you that one <laughs> no yeah i thought i thought those were those were quite cool ideas that i hadn't really considered before so i take them forward i think was there anything that sort of stood out to you then in this chapter? You're like, this is really cool. Like, I really want to uh, want to do this going forward or anything that you're like, oh, yeah, this this makes a lot more sense. I think I've never played around with using magic items as actual really rare, unbuyable concepts if that makes sense we've yeah. never as a campaign really looked into having to seek magic items out on like a black market or, or find buyers or, or finding sellers or anything like that we've always dealt with magical shops and and trading warehouses and emporiums where you can kind of just you know pawn off your stuff and have a sort of gold trading because i've always found it easier and i like yeah. to give people the option to be able to move around what they've got a little bit but i could imagine it could be quite fun to have that environment where actually selling and buying stuff is really really tricky mm. um and you've got more sort of obstacles in order to actually selling that legendary sword that you picked up or mm. um the potions that you want to buy maybe they're not available in, in every store so I'd, I'd like to play around with with that maybe sometime um maybe having a lot more cursed weapons or items that have minor properties that will give people role-playing options i think those could be quite fun to play on a little bit we've never really done too much of that um maybe forcing every magical item you've got to give you some sort of weird trait or or just something minor that you could like have to play around with like a ring of flying makes you you know hover like a centimeter off the ground at all points but otherwise does nothing else something really random like that a dud essentially one of those ones that you sell in the second sale and you're like oh just oh okay and it doesn't do as intended that'd be quite cool exactly yeah i feel like for me like yeah i think there's a lot here to unpack yeah there's that sort of thing where you're like oh god it's a lot of tables but actually again as it always says these things you either could take the average or you could roll it's up to you and it depends on how much like rolling you want to do before time because i feel i don't know about how you sort of prepare your encounters and stuff obviously like i said i usually use the module as given but i feel maybe like rolling 
you, I would assume that you would roll for the like the encounters first, like how many creatures you have, and then come to the treasure second. So probably by the time you've done your enemies and stuff, you might be, I'm done with this. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take the averages for for stuff or put it around, etc. So I think it's good. It's good in that sense because there's actually quite a lot of stuff here. But yeah, I really mm. like having the ability to to have flavorful stuff, have stuff that you can that you say isn't gold and isn't gonna weigh them down. Because again, because I and this is me assuming, but I, I feel like a lot of parties don't necessarily go well how much are you carrying on your over capacity you know unless it's like something ridiculous mm. so i think having when you say well here is the treasure it is it, you know it is huge it is about like you said fourteen thousand golds worth you definitely can't carry it all whereas if you've got like a couple of paintings uh you know a big ruby or something like that and you're like okay here's the things these are slightly more manageable but how are you still going to transport it out and having the players work out essentially another puzzle is like transportation <laughs> you, yeah. you leave it do you come back you know all, all these things so i thought i thought yeah it's just it's just a nice way of looking at stuff and i hadn't really considered art objects as anything because i've always assumed that they are keys to a puzzle that i've missed so just having them as as a as a gold value is actually yeah. really good actually making them genuinely keys of the puzzle might be quite fun just mm. throw it in confuse people was there anything that you weren't particularly keen on this chapter? Or is there anything else you'd change about it? I think the one thing you need to be a little bit careful of is that inherently with anything that comes with lots of tables and lots of sort of rolling, it can be incredibly random. And mm. you've got to make sure that it works for your campaign. It's, it's very possible as a, as a level five character on a treasure sort of table to be given like a plus three weapon from the beginning of the campaign or to go through about seven treasure hoard rolls and pick up nothing but basic healing potions yes. so as a dm you've got to use your common sense to sort of maybe average things slightly or tweak things or just change things a little bit to suit your particular campaign i think don't treat anything written as in stone use your flexibility and your common sense to make it work for you and your campaign. I think that's something that's really important to, to consider. So the randomness, I think, can be very extreme. I, I mean, if some of the tables, you can roll uh, maybe 20 on a D100 and end up with nothing but gold and roll a 97 yeah. and end up with a magic item that's worth about 20 times what you would normally be picking up. And yes, I love the, the randomness of that, but I think sometimes you just got to watch that your players are getting a value and, and will enjoy what they're picking up. I did notice that as well with how many healing potions you get, certainly on the earlier tables, so tables A to D, usually about the 15 to 20% when you roll, it will be a healing potion of some description, which I think is fine. But I, I was thinking to myself, like, well, would people have in their hordes healing potions or would they have a different potion? So I was mm. thinking to myself whether or not I would take healing potions out of hordes completely and it's something that you have to stock up on um, at the shop. You know, you have your, your Resident Evil, like, what are you buying? What are you selling? And you have the potions there. But from then on, you only find certain ingredients to put together to make a potion, which is very impractical out in the field. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I just think I would remove potions, certainly healing potions from the tables entirely and put something else in or, or like re-roll. And just so that there's a little bit more variety and people aren't necessarily relying on, oh, it's great. We found a bunch of uh, lesser health potions. It's like, yeah, 
but yeah. could have had yeah. something else. You can rule that any way you want. Maybe you could make a system where, you know, if you've got an alchemist in the party, each potion needs three different things and you've got reagents and you've got magical power giving things and then you've got the specific ingredient of the potion and maybe you go around finding different types of ingredients that they can start putting stuff together and going, oh, well, I can make this or that or this or that or whatever it is. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, as you say, you don't want to let these tables become too bland yeah. and statsy. It's all about getting things character and individuality. That's that's where you're going to find the most success. I guess then, what sort of recommendations do you have for anything magical or treasure-like do you have? Like, is there anything like any films or books or anything that you'd be like, oh yeah, this is a really good example of putting treasure in things or, or interesting treasure thing, I guess. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Got me that's now. a good question. Um, oh, I don't know. Have you got any examples? Uh, I do. Sorry. <laughs> so, like, I'll, I'll bit muffle in here. Um, so there's actually two RPGs um, that I've come across. There's one called Artifact by uh, Jack Harrison, which is a solo RPG where you are a magic item. And it's about, you know, you roll for what you are, and then you describe each individual sort of master or mistress or whoever that you are passed down to and how your influence corrupts them in some way whether it's for good or for bad and then like what happens to them and so you can tell the history of the rise and fall of a kingdom and stuff and when i played it it went all the way through sort of from medieval times all the way up to like the future and that was really cool like because it's like because i realized when i was playing it's like oh actually it's not necessarily set in a fantasy world it could be set right now it could be set anytime and that was really interesting to get to that stage be in the future and then just be left in in a museum and nobody because it's like this is a priceless artifact from way back when and you're like no i need to be wielded i i can't control anything if i'm i'm just stuck in a box um that's really cool that was pretty cool and there's a similar one called wield by uh, gillian fraser and john wick uh where it's not just you it's the other players uh, you all create a magical item each but then your hero that you wield is the next person's character essentially and they, you can go into fights and stuff, but you're using that hero's hit points. And if they die, you need to find a way to get into someone else's uh, thing. And again, it's that corrupting influence you have. And again, I say corrupting as in sort of, I mean more sort of impactful, like you could be a really lovely, nice, chatty sword, or you could be like an evil pendant or any of these sort of quirks that we sort of discussed here. So I, both of those creating magical items with personality, uh, I thought were really cool. And it's slightly different for um, an RPG. So. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. That's mm. far more interesting than anything I was thinking of in my campaigns. And so, now, if you have any sort of games I'm thinking of, of that, that sort of joy of being able to pick up stuff and create stuff, is you've got games like Breath of the Wild, where you go through picking up items and equipment and, and decking yourself out with stuff that is specifically um, destructible and consumable. And, and there's a joy to, to sort of using those sort of things and going through a game like that. But um, The Witcher 3 is a really Really good example of a game where there's a very very complicated and um fiddly potion making system that you can go yeah. getting ingredients and reagents and coming up with concoctions and trying stuff so if you want to maybe have an idea about making consumables and, and some of the potion rules that we were talking about that might be a good a good place to get inspiration from Mm, yeah, I, I actually haven't played The Witcher 3, which is like, oh, what? So, But it's it's on the list, so I, I will look forward <laughs> to that. Or I could just get a basic chemistry set, I guess, but um, oh, yeah, Witcher 3 sounds better. Sure, but, but I find troll toes are quite difficult to get in real life. The market's not as good as it once was. Oh, no, rubbish. 
brilliant. Well, thank you so much for that, Ryan. That was uh, that was really interesting because it's again it's something I've not really looked at in great detail. I'm like I said, I, I usually go for what is the bog standard in the actual one shots and stuff I use. So actually, it'd be nice to actually spice it up a bit and just throw something either completely random or just justify it in some way. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. It's good fun, isn't it? And what are you treating me to next time? Oh, it's it's not as exciting, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I don't know about that. We'll see. So. I don't know about you, Ryan. I can't run combat for shit. <laughs> <laughs> I I really struggle with it. Like I I can play in it, obviously, because I I know because I only have a small part in it. But actually, working out how things work and like the different types of sort of uh, oh this happens and this happens and this happens, I I always lose track. So I thought, why not just go look at the options and just see what it's all about. So next time we're going to look at combat, specifically sort of the different types of initiative you can have and actually different options that uh, players can have during uh, combat. That's not necessarily I hit the thing or I, I dodge or anything like that. There's some other options that are in the DM's guide as a result. So we'll have a look at combat. Hooray! That's really cool. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Where can the people find you, Ryan? What are you up to? What's going on in general? <laughs> well, typically I find myself sat in a desk chair talking on podcasts to people at very early hours of a Sunday morning. But oh, so if you want to find me, then uh, I'm always on Discord. Come and find the Ursa Ryan Discord. You can come and chat to me. I've got a YouTube channel, mm -hmm. Ursa Ryan, where I, you can hear my lovely voice. Um, and you'll find me on many things that Fiona makes, which she's about to tell you all about. Well, thank you for thank you for that. Uh, my name is Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one shot podcast. As ever, it's doing all right. I recorded a one shot called Sleepaway recently, which is about playing uh, summer camp counselors uh, fighting off an evil cryptid. And that. Uh, that was really good. I enjoyed it very that much. sounds incredibly weird. It, it was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But yeah, it's it's definitely it's one of my favourite things I've recorded this year. And appreciate it's 2020, so there's not been many things to record this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, until next time, friends, uh, we will talk to you later. That's, that's all right. <laughs> Question. See you later. Bye. Bye.